you would please turn in your Bible to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 22. Our text today will be from verse 6 of Proverbs 22 as we continue this series that we started last week that I'm calling Parenting by the Book. The series title, Parenting by the Book, is intended to communicate the fact that Contrary to popular opinion, there is a child training manual, and it is the Word of God. And all Christian parents must seek to obey God's commands in this very important area of life. In, in fact, as in, as in many areas of life, the biblical principles would serve all parents well, both Christian and non-Christian alike, but, but the promises and principles are especially well suited to those of us who will be bringing up our children in the instruction and discipline, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So this series title is meant to communicate something, but we don't want to overlook the fact that there are many particulars of child rearing which will be unique and different from house to house. Things will be different. Some of you will have rules in your home that others will not have. You know, if we think of an example of something like that, I, I, there are some people who don't wear shoes in their home. Take the shoes off at the door. And some of you will have that rule and Others of you will wear your shoes in your home and your children will wear shoes in your home. It's just a different rule. Some of you will require that your children come to eat dinner and when your child says, I'm full, I've had enough, that will be fine. They can stop eating. And others of you will say, no, you must clean your plate. You'll have a clean your plate rule. There are, there are different rules in different homes and I bring this up to say that we need to, as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to have a gracious attitude toward one another when we have differences like these. Now, these are insignificant, but there are more significant differences. There are certainly times when we have to explain to our children that the rule at our home is different from the rule at so-and-so's home. We have to explain to them that you're my child and God has given you to me and mom and you have to obey our rule. We have those conversations, don't we, as parents? We have to explain to our children that they have to be obedient to their own parents. But at the same time, as we explain things, that things are different in our house than they are in other houses. We want to be careful not to give them an attitude of pride, moral Pride that they would look down on others who have different practices. Parents, sometimes you don't have to point these things out to you. You don't have to say, well, they have different rules. Sometimes your children will bring that to your attention. I remember as a child when my parents' rules were not exactly to my liking, I would say, but Jimmy doesn't have to do that. Or, but Jimmy gets to do that. Or Jimmy gets to go. I told my wife, I said, I wonder if they will know that Jimmy's a real guy. <laughs> yeah, these things happen. I'm not just making this up. And my parents very faithfully, when I would say, but Jimmy, they would very faithfully say, Jimmy's not our son. And if Jimmy was our son, he'd follow the same rules you were following. 
So they reminded me that, that it was their house and that they made the rules. And, and parents, that is right and proper. And under the fifth commandment, your children are required to follow your rules, even if they seem arbitrary or, or different from others. We run into things that are differing from, from house to house. And, and as I speak about these things, I'm not talking about matters of the moral law of God. I'm not speaking about those things which are sinful if we do or don't do them. I'm talking about things which may be very important to you. They may be in accord with your conscience, but are not strictly sinful when someone else has a different view or does a different thing. One family may forbid their child or their children from watching television, while another family may allow their children to watch carefully curated television. I, I hope that none of us would just let our children watch all willy-nilly whatever comes over the airwaves. In cases like these, we have to be very careful that we don't impose our house rules in someone else's house. That we don't let our conscience be a rule over other people. And when we're on the other side of that, when someone else has a rule and we have in that moment a less bound conscience, we don't ask people to violate their conscience. Now, I'm saying all this and I'm not referencing scripture. There's much said about scripture. We, we read about those things that talk about eating meat. Maybe you've wondered, like, we don't have meat eating arguments in our society, in our day. These are the things that are addressed there. Those things that are not strictly sinful in and of themselves, uh, but we have differing views and we don't want to impose ourselves on others and we don't want to um, ask people to violate their conscience. And I say that because some people are looking for a series on child rearing, a series on how a Christian home should be put together. And they say, well, when are you going to give us the list? When are you going to give us the, the do's and the don'ts list? When are we going to get the list of approved websites and video games and the list of forbidden podcasts? And when are we going to get the list? But this sermon series will not be doing that. And by the grace of God, we will not ever be doing that. We will not tell you how long is long enough and how tight is too tight. We will not offer a list of acceptable and unacceptable things, but we will try to present the biblical principles that God has given us. Resisting the temptation to impose ourselves on others, resisting the temptation to impose our opinions and views on others may be a chore for some of us. It seems that some Christians have a real gift for acting as the conscience for other people. But we want to stop that. And we want to recognize Christian liberty where God has not given specific commands. Now, I will confess to you as we talk about this, this sort of overstepping is part of my DNA. 
it is something that is, is a big part of me and has been for my entire life. And for that reason, in speaking to me, I and mean, maybe even in this sermon series, you may pick up on my personal convictions. You may pick up on my preferences. I hope that you would be able to distinguish and de determine what are my preferences and what are God's mandates. But I will make a concerted effort in, in preaching this series to keep our focus on the biblical principles, which should be a common guide for all of us. And I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Some of us have deeply held convictions. And, and some of those convictions we even base on scripture. We base on our interpretation and our understanding of scripture. And I've listed a few things here. And you may fall on one side or the other of these things and, and have a strong conviction about things like veganism and organic foods, movies and television, homeschooling, Christian private or public schooling, the role of father and mother in the home, the particulars of those roles. And, and what I mean by that is I, I've known men who who said, well, if my wife is the primary on our finances and she's keeping up with that, I don't feel like I'm the head of my home. That's a, that's a preference. But how awful would it be if we gave our brothers and sisters the idea that if they didn't do things like we do it, if they didn't do things like we did, that they were somehow less acceptable in their place as father and mother and husband and wife. So we want to be careful when it's not a thou shalt or thou shalt not from scripture that our preferences are not imposed on others. Now, some of you have known me long enough that you're sitting there thinking, I know that you have failed in this. And yes, I struggle and have often failed in this. This is not just something about which I've read. I have lived some of these same errors that I'm now warning you about. When we have fellow Christian families who have a different perspective, which leads them to different house rules and different practices, let us remember, Christians, how easy it is to find a speck in our brother's eye and look right past the beam in our own. Let us remember the grace which we have received from God and seek to show grace to others. Surely by now you've made it to Proverbs 22, verse 6. Let me say at the outset, this last week's sermon and this week's sermon has, has become more than I originally thought that it would be. And what we're going to have today is basically an introduction. So we're going to have a sermon introduction and then next week we'll come back to Proverbs 22, 6 uh, for, the, for the rest of the sermon. Uh, but I did not want to tax your um, tax your body sitting here for more than 20 pages of sermon. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
Let's pray and ask God's blessing. Our Father in heaven, guide us in your truth, we pray. Help us to know and to love the truth of your word, knowing that our dear Savior has identified himself as the way, the truth, and the life. Convict us where we have sinned. Strengthen our inner being to turn away from error and to live in obedience. Give us grace and help us to show grace to one another. Hide this preacher behind the cross of Christ, we pray. Feed your sheep from the bounty of your word preached. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Last week, we, we considered a text that was addressed to fathers. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It was addressed specifically to fathers, but we saw that there was application to mothers and even to others from the text. But the address was specific. The text before us today is less narrow in its address. It doesn't say fathers, mothers, parents. It just says, train up a child. Now, every one of us has some influence, some input into the life of a child. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, family, friends, church members. We all have a part in a child's life and we, we play a role in the upbringing of a child. When I think about my early childhood, there are many men and women, old men and women who I only know because I've heard their names from my parents and my grandparents. And other than that, I don't really know them. But then there are some, some who seem to a five or six year old Todd, so old. Now I know they were probably about the age that I am now, but they seem so old. Those men and women who had no requirement to deal with me at all but they loved me and they loved me in ways that I could only appreciate after I grew up telling me Bible stories one, one old man named Curly Clark gave me a two dollar bill which I still have to this day and he told me when he gave it to me Todd I'm going to be your prayer partner I didn't even know as probably a five-year-old, I didn't even know what that meant. But now I know that he was committing himself to pray for me, to pray for my health, to pray for my well-being, and to pray for the salvation of my soul. I'm 52 years old and I remember that from the time that I was five. Others, Mr. Clifford Flint, Miss Mary Russell, these names mean nothing to you but to me. They are people who poured themselves into the life of a child, not as a parent, not as a grandparent, no blood relation, but people who loved Jesus and out of their love for him, they loved me. Some of us right now can whisper a prayer to God, a prayer of thanksgiving for people like this in our lives. Some of you, some of you don't have a child right now. 
And some of you may never be a parent. But you do have the opportunity and the responsibility to be a part of training up a child. Until God sees fit to give you a child, be a prayer partner. Be praying for a child. Some of you are well past your childbearing years, but folks, we can't retire. We, we can be a friend that a child needs us to be. So this text, train up a child, is one which we can all hear and we can all learn from, keeping in mind now that parents are certainly the first, the foremost, the God-ordained trainers of children. But we all play an assisting role. It's important for us who are not parents to remember our place. <laughs> Boy, that's hard sometimes, isn't it? those of us who are not parents, who are playing that assisting role, we are not to fix the things that we don't agree with. What I mean by that is we are not to teach by our example rebellion. Sometimes we do that, don't we? Your mama wouldn't like this, but I'm going to go ahead. Your dad, we need to be Help. Too, too often grandparents, aunts and uncles try to impart their own conflicting ideas to a child, things which are antithetical to the parental work, and in so doing, what should be a blessing to that child becomes destructive and harmful. So we need to make sure that our help is helpful. We don't replace parents, but we do have a role. Commenting on this verse, Charles Bridges says, the hope of at least two generations hangs upon this important rule. Train up a child in the way that he should go. He continues, how can we look on a child without thoughtful anxiety? An existence is commenced for eternity. No power of earth or hell can crush it. The whole universe does not afford an object of deeper interest. It is an arrow in the hand of a mighty man, a powerful instrument for good or evil, according to the direction that is given to it. I like what he said there. The hope of at least two generations hangs on this important rule. The happiness and well-being of the parent is dependent on child training. And the happiness and well-being of the child depends on child training. And I would argue that, that much more is also riding on this important work. Other children in the home, extended family, church family, all of us have a great deal which is dependent on good child training. Also at stake is the good of society. Children well-trained will be good citizens, while a selfish and unruly child will grow up to bring trouble to society. I'd like to spend what will likely be the remainder of our time 
convincing us of the need for child training. I have four reasons we must train up our children, but I'm going to tell you, I'm sitting here during the song service and I thought of several more. This is not an exhaustive list. Uh, I've tried to arrange it in an order maybe of increasing importance, but I think sometimes we need to be convinced of the importance of this work, lest we be tempted to neglect it. And parents, we all know if we've been there, the temptation to shirk the parental responsibility. Number one, we must train up our children because, and I've alluded to this, society needs good citizens. This is the first one, and just very quickly, society's need for good citizens means we need to train up our children. Often we speak of society and we speak in negative terms. And rightly so. We, we know why we speak of society in negative terms. As a matter of fact, the second thing on my list speaks of an indictment of society. But we need to understand that societies are the way in which people live together. How, how we interact with one another. How we treat one another. How we respect or disrespect one another. How we conduct business together. Societies are not in and of themselves evil. The reason societies are evil is because of evil people behaving wickedly. For societies to prosper, for societies to be God-honoring, societies need to have citizens who contribute good to them. We need men and women behaving uprightly living righteously, conducting business honestly. We need men and women living ethically and properly. Christians, one of our aims in parenting is to raise good citizens and to teach our children. I, I know the temptation, boy, I know the temptation to isolate, to isolate. I want to keep my children from all that evil out there. But if you raise your child with no understanding of how to live in the world, then you have not done your job as a parent. We have to teach them good and evil, and we have to teach them how to live in the world as a Christian. To raise men and women who, who work in honest jobs, who, who may serve in the military, who may police our streets, who may preside over courtrooms to raise men and women who will live lives which are a benefit to society. Secondly, we must train up our children in light of the sinful influence that society has on a child. Society needs good citizens, but there is no shortage of evil actors. I don't mean those people who play on television and movies. Those people who are evil in this world, they are all around us and they're not content to live their own evil lives in isolation. They want to influence your child for evil. They want to have your child join in 
and live lives of debauchery and licentiousness. Thinking of this, this goes hand in hand with that verse from 1 Peter about Satan prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And your child is a target. We must train up our children because the evil one and all the resources which he can bring to bear are focused on destroying your child. In the third place, some of you won't like the rest of this, to be frank. In the third place, we must train up our children because of the ignorance of a child. I don't want you to be offended. Ignorance does not mean that we cannot learn. It just means that we don't know. And your child comes not knowing anything. They don't know how to feed or care for themselves. They don't know how to speak. They don't know anything. And so much of what your child needs to know will never be attained by themselves. They need a parent to train them up because of their ignorance. God intended for a parent to teach these little babies, these little children, as they grow and develop. Scripture tells us in Proverbs 29 that a child left to himself will bring his mother shame. A child needs discipline, and I'm using that word now in this sermon for the first time. I want us to understand when we, when we hear the word discipline, some of us have a certain idea that comes to mind. I want us to understand the word in this way. It basically means to teach. Your child needs to be a disciple. The reason I use that word, I want you to know that discipline and disciple come from the same, from the same root. Your child needs to be a disciple being disciplined by you. Proverbs 13 tells us that those who love their children will discipline them. There have been parental fads that have come about. Some of those fads say that we need to let our children alone. Just let them, let them train up themselves. But that worldly wisdom is the complete opposite of what God has instructed. Godly wisdom. We are to train up our children. Remembering last week, we are to bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. We must train up our children because of the ignorance of a child. Lastly, Perhaps most importantly, we must train up our children. Last week I quoted J.C. Ryle. This is already too long, but we might, might as well. Uh, I quoted J.C. Ryle and, and he said something, and I'm paraphrasing now. He said that uh, there's nothing, there's no other subject other than children about which people are more tenacious. And he went on to say, I would rather point out 10 sins of a person than to point out one sin of their child. I, I could preach a sermon. I could preach an hour long sermon on the depravity of man and apply that to you. And you'd probably say, amen. But when we talk about the depravity of a child, some of us rear up. Some of us, some of us really get defensive. So get ready.
We must train up our children because of the lostness and depravity of a child. Not just some children. I mean, boy, I was with my son at a play place with a bunch of kids and I looked at Michael and I said, that kid's going to be in prison one day. <laughs> I don't know who the kid was, but man, you can see depravity in some of those kids, can't you? It's not just some children. All children are conceived in a state of sin. Now, let me just remind you, you've heard this before. Uh, David says, in sin did my mother conceive me. And he wasn't saying, boy, my mama was a real sinner. What he was saying is, I am by nature a sinner from conception. From that very moment of conception, I am a sinner by nature. Parent, you're, you're beautiful hours old child that we all look at and say so sweet, so innocent. That child is already depraved and sinful. Guilty with the inherited sin of Adam and only days old they will begin to demonstrate their own sinfulness. I've never needed to convince the parent of a two-year-old that their child is a sinner. <laughs> never. Now, people without children, sometimes they don't believe that. And grandparents, we are the worst because we forget. But we see it more and more as they develop, as they begin walking, as they begin picking up things. They steal from others. They will strike. They will bite. They will assault with every fiber of their being. As they begin to speak, they will show even more selfishness. That's mine. They will lie. They will manipulate. Just this morning, in Sunday school, I watched a sweet, wonderful child whom I love steal something from mother's plate. While I'm almost gone, I'm going to take your dog. <laughs> As our children begin to speak, they lie, they manipulate. My wife has always said about our children when they were coming up, we don't negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> but I want us to understand something. Without training, Without discipline, your child and my child, every child will become a terrorist, a tyrant, a manipulator, a dictator. It's in our nature. That's who we are from conception. The verses about the depravity of man are fully applicable to children. From Romans 3, no one does good. All have gone astray, each one to his own way. No one seeks God. Their throat is an open grave, and with their tongues they keep deceiving. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the way of peace they do not know. 
There is no fear of God before their eyes. And we're all glad to apply that to mankind. And some of us are glad to apply that to our own selves without Jesus Christ. But I'm pointing out to us that this applies to our children. Folks, this is, this is an unpolished description of sinful men and without godly parents intervening with biblical child training, this would describe every child born in this world. Reigned in, stayed only by fear of consequences. And parents, as we see this, as a descriptor of your child without Christ, this should serve for us as a list of things that we must teach our children. We must teach our children right and wrong. We must teach, and don't think that they'll just get it. They'll get a form of right and wrong, but it will be, it will be spewed. We must teach them right and wrong. We must teach them the importance and the need to know God. We must teach them that the way that is bound up in their heart is foolishness. We must teach them that, that their own heart and mind and tongue and actions must be held up against the holiness of God to see that they are sinners, to see that they are in need of a savior. We must teach them to fear God. Uh, and let me, let me throw a hint in here. As your child grows and develops, as your child gets older, the more time you have spent teaching respect and reverence for father and mother, the better they will learn to respect and reverence God. They will learn, they, they will learn justice and righteousness. They will learn mercy and grace and wrath and consequences. They will learn these things first from you as a parent. So parents, let's be intentional to teach our children, to train them up, to, to teach them, to teach them about law and gospel. To teach them about obedience to mom and dad and, and what happens when disobedience. As they grow to understand the law, because as young, young children, that's our primary focus is law. As they come to understand the law, as they grow, we get to teach them about grace. We get to teach them about forgiveness. So let me take just a moment to insert something here that may seem a little bit out of place. But I think it's important as we, as we talk about training up a child, disciplining our children. Parents, listen closely. There should never be a place in your home for punishment. Some of you thought you misheard. I'm going to say it again. There should never be a place in your home for punishment. But you must never neglect discipline. There should never be punishment, but you should never neglect discipline. Now, what is the difference? Punishment exacts a price for a wrong done. Punishment requires a payment for an offense. Punishment is recompense. 
You owed me compliant obedience and you didn't give it. Now you will pay the price. Punishment says you broke the law. Now you will suffer for it. Discipline teaches. Discipline comes from love. In the moment, we just read earlier, in the moment, discipline is not enjoyable for parent nor child. But discipline is the best for that child long term. Discipline keeps in view the training of the child. We ask how how can you make a better choice next time? How can you learn to control your emotions, your anger, disappointment, frustrations? How can you be better because of this discipline? Now, I'm speaking to someone about this and they said, why don't you give examples? I can't give an example and here's why. An example of punishment, exacting a price, might look like a father swinging a paddle. And an example of discipline, a parent loving a child and training a child, might look like a father swinging a paddle. It's not necessarily in a difference in the, in the action, it's a difference in attitude, it's a difference in motivation. Parents, when you find yourself angry, you're probably punishing your children. And you should not do that. I don't want to give away all the content of a future sermon, but God has given us specific instruction on discipline. And I would challenge you before we come back for another message uh, to find the verses in scripture which speak about the counting. One, two, don't make me get to three. Find those verses. Find the verses of scripture which speak about bargaining, reasoning, negotiating, to use my wife's term. Parent, you must train your child because the scripture is true. When the scripture says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And can I tell you this? Foolishness, we use that word in a different way than scripture uses it. We use that word to just say you're acting, you know, if you're acting silly, we might say, oh, you're acting foolish. That's not the biblical use of this term. Foolishness, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, no God. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. That is lostness. And you must train your child because of the lostness and depravity of your child. Now, I'm fully aware that what I'm saying conflicts directly with the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom says, well, your child's main problem is low self-esteem. But Christians, we have to decide. We have to decide, will I believe the world's wisdom or will I believe the word of God? 
We have too quickly believed the world's wisdom. We've too quickly bought that tabula rosa idea that John Locke presented in, I think it was 1690 in his, his essay on human understanding. He said that babies are born innocent and pure and then society has the opportunity to write on that child good or evil. The idea that children are born as blank slates has permeated our thinking. It's gotten into the church and that is not a biblical idea. The world says this is the answer to all the problems. If the children are born as blank slates and we can write on them anything good or evil, let's educate our children. If we can educate our children properly, and, and this seeps into our justice system. If we can re-educate our criminals, then, then all the problems of society will go away. Listen to Bruce Ray. He wrote a book in 1978 uh, entitled Withhold Not Correction. Listen to what he says in commenting on this thinking of our children being blank slates. In our day, we think that if we can educate our children inscribing the right facts or the right ideas on those blank tablets, there will necessarily be an end to all crime, violence, and bloodshed. And so consistently with this idea, we in the United States have developed the most extensive system of free public education that is to be found anywhere in the world. What has been the result? We have the most educated criminals of any country in the world. Now listen, this is not, this, this is not, however you feel about the public education system, this is not an, an indictment of the public education system for what it is good for. But it is not good to erase the depravity of man. Christians, we, we have to decide, will we believe the report of the world or will we believe the word of God? What God has created upright in man, sin has marred. Pride and selfishness and prejudice comes to the surface at a very young age. Thinking and reasoning, a gift from God, which should be used for us to understand God's revelation. Instead, thinking and reasoning is used to plot evil, to scheme, to think up new trouble. Speech, which should be the tool for worshiping, for praising God, for edifying one another. Speech instead is used for insults and for cruelty and for blasphemies. Creativity is turned into destruction. Dominion, we should have dominion. That morphs into tyranny and bullying. Morality becomes immorality. And parents, you must obey the parental mandates of Scripture. You must train up your child because your child is a sinner who is in need of a Savior. And, and friend, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then your condition is still just as I have described it. Just as the Scripture says, Lost and completely unable to do any good to the saving of your soul, you need a Savior. And there's only one the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Redeemer of God's elect, 
is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he left heaven's beauty to come to earth, to take on human flesh, becoming a man, becoming one of us. Because he was born of a virgin, he did not inherit the sin nature from Adam like all the rest of us have. So he lived a perfect and sinless life. He fulfilled the whole law of God on behalf of all those who would believe on him. Then he suffered and died on Calvary's cruel cross as our sins were laid on him there. And he shed his precious blood. He paid the ransom and purchased forgiveness for sinful men. Friend, the command of scripture and the plea of this preacher is that you would believe on Jesus Christ for salvation, repenting of your sin. Christian parents, some of you, some of you already have been convicted that you haven't been training up your child as God would have you to do in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Let me encourage you to not let that conviction turn into despair. The scripture tells us, bring your sin to the Savior, confess it to him and he will cleanse you. Then, then with a repentant heart, take the task up again. You can't quit. God has placed those children in your care. How guilty, maybe you're guilty like I have been. Boy, that guy's such a better father than me. God gave him his kids. God gave me my kids. God gave you your kids. And that was no mistake. That was no accident. God doesn't intend for you to, when you fail, lay down, surrender, Christian parent determined that you will follow God's wisdom. That you will do what Proverbs 23, 13 says, that you will not withhold correction, discipline, training from the child. Next time we will pick back up on this verse. I told you this is a long introduction. And I apologize for that. But we'll pick back up here. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your blessings. We pray, God, that you would help us. God, I pray that the voice of this preacher would not be the source of conviction or bad feelings, but only the voice of our Savior, only the work of the Holy Spirit and your word would work in our lives. So, God, I pray that, that you would do that work Convicting of sin and of righteousness and of coming judgment. God, we thank you for the blessings. What, what blessings? Especially here at Waco Family Baptist Church to have so many, so many children that we love. God, help us to love them not with a worldly love, not with the love that flows out of worldly wisdom, but help us to love our children with a love that comes from you with a love that is accompanied with godly wisdom. Help us, God, to train up our children in the way that he should go. We pray this in Christ's name.